Good to see all you folks this morning. Always glad to come out to Big Creek and glad that your pastor is just on vacation and not ill since that seems to be a popular pastime these days, to be ill with, if not COVID, then something else. <clears throat> One, uh, get this number figured out so I don't have to do it later. Just... Uh, One verse of scripture as a text, although I will be quoting a few other passages as we go along, but uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us draw, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you for this place that we can come to to worship you. We thank you for all those who have come to this place this morning. We pray that our praise and our worship will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight this morning. We lift up again all the needs that have been mentioned and so many others. Each each one is an opportunity for you to work, to move, to bring evidence of your goodness and your mercy and your love. Now bless our time together, open our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say to us from your word this morning, and we'll be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name, amen. As I read this passage, I thought about some of the things that the writer might have referred to this throne that we come to as, he said, a throne of grace. There are some other adjectives that could be used to describe this throne this morning. And I wanted to think of a couple of these. The first thing that comes to mind as we typically think of when we think of a throne, it has, it carries with it, or it is a symbol of power and might and authority. There are a couple of words several words actually, but a couple of words especially that are used in the Bible to that are translated power in 
our language, the one that is most accurately translated power is the Greek word dunamis, uh, which is the word for uh, that we transliterate just a little bit and use for dynamite. It is a physical type of power that we associate with this throne. There's also the word, the Greek word, exousia, which literally translates authority. And we have both, uh, both are appropriate to describe this throne this morning. John chapter 1 in verse 12 but as many as received him to them he gave the right the power both of these uh, are translations but the most accurate one is authority as many as received him to them he gave the authority to become children of God even to those who believe in his name and in Matthew chapter 28 a familiar uh, passage that we associate with uh, our great commission in verse 18 Jesus came up and spoke to them saying all authority or all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth and then the great commission go therefore make disciples of all nations all authority and all power the authority to do whatever he wills resides in that throne. The power to accomplish what he resolves to do in his will also resides in that throne. So as we look at that throne this morning, we are aware, especially, of the power and the might and the authority that is represented by that throne. It is very accurately described as a throne of power and might, but that's not what the writer of the Hebrews to the Hebrews whomever he was chose to use to describe that throne he could also have described it as a throne of holiness and righteousness uh, we're aware of how Isaiah described it as he looked upon that throne, Isaiah chapter 6, 
verses 1 through 5. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Same throne, by the way. Lofty, exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And this is the key. One called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And Isaiah's response, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, God's holiness is emphasized in that passage from Isaiah. We don't hear too much about it anymore. We don't really talk about holiness very much. But God's holiness is absolute. It is an absolute characteristic or trait of his nature, of his being, it is total. It is complete. We worship a tripartite God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that, I believe, is why the angels say holy three times. Holy God the Father, holy God the Son, holy God the Holy Spirit. How can we come with boldness? How can we come with confidence, as the Bible instructs us to do, before such a holy God? Only one way. If we have His holiness, His righteousness, Matthew 22, verse 11. When the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw there a man not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come to be here without wedding clothes? And he was speechless. Now that's an interesting little tidbit of information, but what does it have to do with God's holiness? Well, if we know anything about the custom of the Jewish wedding, we know that there was a certain type of garment that was supposed to be worn and it was the responsibility of the person who was in charge of the wedding, typically the father 
of the groom to supply the wedding garment if the individual did not have their own, and typically uh, they, they might not. This wedding garment from the Jewish wedding symbolizes the righteousness of Christ. It is provided by the Father through the Son and for many years I read this uh, account and I didn't really understand why make such a big to-do over not having the right clothes because this goes on to indicate that the instructions for this uh, individual who didn't have the wedding garment was to be bound hand and foot and thrown into outer darkness, thrown into hell. And I thought, that's awfully extreme for somebody that just didn't have the right clothes on. But I learned the significance of that wedding garment and the fact that it represents the righteousness of Christ. God's heaven is a holy place and unless we have perfect, complete righteousness, we're not getting in. But I don't have perfect, complete righteousness and you don't either. And God knows that, and therefore he provides the wedding garment. He provides the righteousness of Christ, provided we ask for it, provided that we receive it. A high priest carries the blood of atonement into the Holy of Holies. We've find this account in Hebrews chapter 9 beginning in verse 11 when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It would have very accurately been described as a throne of power and might. It would also very accurately have been described as a throne of holiness and righteousness. It could have been described as a throne of justice and judgment as well. Hebrew, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 beginning in verse 3 
For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousings, drinking, parties, and abominable idolatries. And in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. But they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Again, another apostle referring to this same subject John and I want the Gospel of John. John chapter 5 verse 24 and following. Truly, truly I say to you, he who hears my word, this is Jesus speaking, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. It is a throne that is going to be a throne of justice and judgment, but not yet. God is just, justice demands judgment, the wages of sin is death, that by the way is a spiritual law, we deserve death because the wages of sin is death and all have sinned. Sin has been or will be judged. It either has been judged on the cross or it will be judged in hell, in the lake of fire. The writer did not choose to call it a throne of justice and judgment either. And we are thankful that he did or did not. What did he call it? Let's read it again. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us, therefore, Draw near with confidence 
to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. What is grace anyway? We uh, define it oftentimes as unmerited favor. Nothing that we did to deserve the favor that God shows, it is unmerited favor that we receive at the hand of God. There's a little acronym that I like. Take the letters of the word G-R-A-C-E, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. We have grace because of the sacrifice on Calvary. There's another definition for grace and mercy. If you want to know the difference, mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. And grace is receiving what we don't deserve i.e. forgiveness and cleansing and eternal life. How can we come with confidence? How can we come with boldness? Certainly not on our own merit. There's a key word in that verse, and the key word is therefore. They always say, if you see the word therefore, you should ask yourself, what is it there for? And it always refers back to something before. So let's back up a couple of verses to verse 14 of chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. A perfect, holy, righteous sacrifice. And then he goes on in verse 16 to say, Let us, therefore, because of the perfect great high priest that we have, we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace because the debt has been paid provided we have repented of sin and received Christ as our personal Savior. The debt has been paid. God's justice has been satisfied. And therefore, we can come to and do come to a throne of grace and a throne of mercy. All those other things that I mentioned are true about this throne, but that's not what we most need. If you think about what the uh, angel said to the shepherds there in announcing the birth of Jesus, Unto you is born this day in the city of David. How many different things could the angel have said and been correct? He could have said, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a prophet. He was the greatest prophet. 
unto you is born this day in the city of David a priest. He was. He is our great high priest. But that's not what the angel said. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a king. King of kings. Lord of lords. Unto you is born a miracle worker. Unto you is born a religious leader. Unto you is born a political leader. All these things are yet, we have not yet seen, they're coming. But that's not what the angel said. What did he say? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Because that's what we needed more than anything else, a Savior, because all have sinned. That's a fact. The wages of sin is death. That's a spiritual law. And so we need a Savior. We have one. And therefore, we can go enter in the throne room of the universe confidently, boldly, because we know we go to a throne of grace. And we can be thankful of that this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the reality, the blessing of a throne of grace and a throne of mercy. We praise you and thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.